0: Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me now to the Gospel of Luke. Once we're into the new year, we will go back to our series through the Gospel of John. But for this morning, I want to talk to you about that foundation in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. On December the 2nd, just a few weeks ago... There was a story in the news that maybe you heard about, maybe you saw a headline along these lines. Here's one example Leaning Tower in Italy on high alert for collapse. No, this particular tower is not the Leaning Tower of Pisa, although many of you are familiar with that. This is a different Leaning Tower. It's the Garisenda Tower of Bologna, and it was built in the 12th century. This tower's been leaning for a while, but this past summer, some people began to notice that it was leaning a little bit more than usual. And so they began to do some studies. And in October, they announced that they had come to the conclusion that this tower will Fall in the near future if something is not done. And so they quickly built a barrier around the base of the tower in order to catch the debris when it falls. And they set up some of those rock fall nets to protect any people who might be around when it does. They installed some monitors so that they are constantly listening to these cracking sounds that are ever-increasing so that they can sound the alarm and evacuate the neighborhood when they believe it is about to collapse. Now, this famous tower has stood for almost a thousand years. It's been around so long, Dante actually wrote about it in the Divine Comedy, and yet it is almost certain to fall because its foundation has deteriorated. And you know, a bad foundation is a dangerous thing. And that's true when it comes to constructing a building, but that is even more true when it comes to building a life. In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to talk about foundations. In the passage before, he said that every person is like a tree. There are good trees that produce good fruit. He said there are bad trees that produce bad fruit. The good tree is that man or woman who has been born again. The bad tree is the person who is lost, who has not been saved. The fruit is the works, the deeds, the attitudes, the beliefs which reveal what type of tree that person is. Well, starting in verse 46, Jesus is going to follow that up with a very similar illustration. This time he says that every person, whether they know it or not, they are building a house. He's not talking about a literal house. He's talking about a spiritual house. And Jesus said that every house will have one of two foundations. And the foundation of your house will determine whether it stands or whether it falls, and there is no in-between. The Bible makes it clear. I read that verse earlier, 1 Corinthians 3, No other foundation can any man lay but what has been laid, which is Jesus Christ if Jesus Christ is the foundation of your life, there are certain things that are going to be true. If Christ is your foundation, that is going to impact how you live. That's going to impact how you think. That's going to impact how you relate to the world around you. If Christ is your foundation, that's going to impact your marriage and how you relate to your spouse, how you relate to your own children. And in these verses, we're going to read just four verses. We're going to see some things that are true about every person who has Christ as their foundation. And so just four verses, let's look at this passage starting in verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do the things which I say. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it. For it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Now, three things I want you to notice in this passage about those who have Christ as the foundation of their lives. And my hope is, as we look at this passage, we will all ask ourselves, what or who is my foundation? But first of all, we see the obedience they practice. The obedience they practice. Notice in verse 46, Jesus asked a question. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say. Now, apparently, there were some in the audience that day who were calling Jesus Lord, but they were not actually doing what he told them to do. Now, what exactly had Jesus told them to do that he might be referring to here? Well, if you look at the context of Luke chapter 6, Jesus told them to love their enemies. He told them to bless those who curse them and to pray for those who mistreat them. He told them to turn the other cheek. He told them to give generously and to meet the needs of those around them. He told them to practice the golden rule to do unto others what you would have others do unto you. These are just a few of the examples, things that Jesus has told them to do. And after telling them all of that, Jesus then asked the question, If I am your Lord, you call me Lord, why do you not do these things which I tell you to do? In other words, if Jesus really is your Lord, you will show it by doing these things not just by saying it, but by doing it. Now, hear me very carefully. Lordship is not lip service. Lordship is not lip service. It's more than just saying the words, more than just calling Jesus Lord. Now, when Jesus made this statement, it it, Uh, It was really something special in those days to use the word Lord. It's not like today, where a lot of people will throw that word Lord around carelessly. Someone will say, Lord, have mercy. Or someone will say, well, Lord knows, blank. Well, in Jesus' day, that word was very significant. In fact, uh, when you see Jesus being referred to as Lord in the New Testament, it always refers to one of two things. Lord refers to his divinity, And Lord refers to his authority. It's always one or the other. And in this particular case, it is his authority that he's talking about here. To call him Lord once is one thing. But notice, to say Lord, Lord, to say it again and again, as in verse 46, this is like an intense pledge of allegiance to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus is Lord, that means he deserves to be the one and final authority of your life. Jesus as Lord means whatever he says goes. Jesus as Lord means there is no take it or leave it as far as you are concerned. It seems to me like more and more in our culture, there is this false belief, there's this false understanding that following Jesus is nothing more than just admitting to certain religious propositions and nothing more. And that has no impact on my life or how my, I live my life whatsoever. But nothing could be further from the truth. Please do not miss this. Surrendering to Jesus as Lord is a non-negotiable element of salvation. Every now and then, for example, I will hear somebody say, you know, I accepted Christ when I was such and such age. I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but it wasn't until 10 years later, 15 years later, that he really became my Lord. Well, Folks, there's a problem with that. The problem is Jesus is not Savior unless and until he is Lord of your life. You don't get one without the other. You know, we have this phrase we will sometimes refer to, fair weather fans. You know what I'm talking about? You ought to, we live in Miami. Most of the fans of most of the teams are what we call Fair weather fans. You know what those are? Fair weather fans are those fans that are all for a team and they'll go to the games and they'll cheer and they'll wear their jerseys and support them as long as they're winning, as long as it's really easy to be a fan of that team. But the moment they start losing, stands are suddenly empty and and everyone pretends that they don't exist. These are fair weather fans. Well, folks, a team may have fair-weather fans. Jesus does not have fair-weather followers. In fact, a fair-weather follower is not a follower of Christ at all. There's an assumption here in verse 46. The assumption is if Jesus is truly Lord in a person's life, that lordship will be reflected in obedience. No matter what you're giving to God, no matter what you're doing for God, no matter where you are going for God, if you're not living in obedience, first of all, you're missing out on God's blessings in your life, but you're also missing the point. And this is why every single aspect of the Christian life hinges on obedience. You know, giving, stewardship, this is very important, but that's no substitute for obedience Worship, what we're doing this morning, this is so important, but this is no substitute for obedience. Even serving, as important as it is that we serve God, even serving is not a substitute for obedience. In fact, did you know that it is possible to serve God without actually obeying God? Imagine for one moment there's a private in the army, A sergeant comes along and and tells him, you're on PK duty, get to the kitchen and start peeling potatoes. Sometimes later that, that sergeant walks by and he notices that private, he's not peeling potatoes, he's shining the sergeant's shoes and he says to the private, private, why aren't you in the kitchen? Why aren't you peeling potatoes like I told you to? And the private says, well, sergeant, I don't really like peeling potatoes but I don't mind shining shoes. And he holds his shoes up and says, see how nice and shiny your shoes are? I did this for you. Well, that's not going to work, is it? Because even though that private might be serving the sergeant, he would not be obeying the sergeant, and there is no substitute for obedience. There's just not. And Jesus said, if he's truly Lord, that lordship is going to be reflected in obedience. In your life, in my life, he is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. But when someone has Jesus as the foundation of their life, we see the obedience they practice, but that leads to a second thing. If Jesus is their foundation, we see the process they follow. There's a process that Jesus describes briefly in verse 47 that will be true of their lives. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Now, I want you to notice three things that Jesus said would happen if you were truly his follower. And notice the order here, because this order is actually very important. Jesus said a true disciple... Comes, hears, and does. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. A disciple comes, hears, and does. It starts with coming to Jesus. And it's very significant that it starts with that. Coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus in verse 47 comes before hearing from Jesus and doing what Jesus says because salvation is not you trying to do your best what Jesus says. On your own, you can't. The Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. Salvation is not you doing what you can for Jesus. No, salvation is simply you coming to Jesus just as you are with all of your silt or sin, with all of your guilt, with all of your shame. And by the way, in the original language, what you notice, each of these three verbs is a participle. In other words, it technically doesn't say, whoever comes to me, but whoever is coming to me. In other words, this is a continual thing. This is an ongoing process. There is that moment when someone comes to Jesus for the first time in, and they are saved, but after you come to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness, you then continue to come to Jesus for love, for fellowship, for guidance, for power. And again, I want you to notice the order. After coming, there's hearing, the one who is Hearing my sayings. And again, it's a participle. We are to continually hear God's voice. We understand that for somebody to hear God's voice, God has to open up their ears. We understand that God has to make it possible for that person to actually hear. And yet the Bible also teaches that there are many who do not hear God because they choose not to hear God. There are many people who do not hear God because they've already decided in advance that they don't want to hear him or do what he tells them to do. And I think a lot of people, including a lot of Christians, hear God the same way a lot of passengers hear the flight attendant during those in-flight announcements. You know what I'm talking about? The other day, coming back from Senegal... I had the blessing of being seated on the very back row of the flight, uh, which I guess is good if it goes down. You have the highest chance of survival, right? But being on the very back row of the plane, you can look forward and you can see everybody and what they're doing. And so I'm watching the people. Here comes the flight attendant. She started her routine. She explains to everybody how to put on a seatbelt. She explains to everybody the oxygen mask and how to put it on your face She reminds everybody that the seat cushion is also a flotation device. And I looked around, and I don't think a single person was paying any attention to what she said. They're all reading a book or adjusting the window shade, or they're staring at their phones. It's kind of like they were saying, there's nothing for us here. We've heard all of this again and again again. And again, you know, that might be true if you're on an airplane, but that is never true when you are hearing God's word. You've never heard it all. God always has something to say to you. And part of being a disciple, Jesus says in verse 47, is continually hearing what God has to say about anything and everything on which God speaks. This is why hearing is so important and asking God, help us to hear what you want to say every time we open up and we read this book. There was this great revival that took place once in our nation's history that you may have heard of called the First Great Awakening. If you've never heard about it, Google it. But there was once this great movement of God called the First Great. Great Awakening. And did you know that one of the byproducts of this great movement of God was a sudden rebirth of shorthand? How many of you know how to write in shorthand? Okay, maybe two or three of you. There was this sudden rebirth of shorthand because when the great, first Great Awakening took place... All of a sudden, people began to come to church and to expect to hear God speak through the preaching of his word, and so they literally learned shorthand so that they could take notes as they heard God speak. It was actually usual, it was normal to see people in those days carrying those quill pens and rolls of paper with them. I mean, you think about how spoiled we are. We've got our smartphones, and we've got our iPads. Uh, they had little portable inkwells that they had to take with them to church. But there's one scholar who describes this season, and this is what he said at the end. He said, revived hearts lead to scribbling hands. I like that. Revived hearts lead to scribbling hands. When our hearts are revived and we're hearing God speak through His Word, we're going to want to scribble. We're going to want to write down what we're hearing God say to us. Coming to Jesus should result in you hearing from Jesus, hearing Him speak through God's Word, but then coming to Jesus leads to hearing and this also leads to doing. Jesus said, He who comes to me hears my Words and does them. Does them comes last because we are not saved by what we do. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved for good works. If one has truly come to Jesus and if one truly hears him, works will be the result. Listen, works do not produce salvation, works prove salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a passage many of you know and have perhaps memorized. If not, you should. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Praise the Lord, we're not saved by works, but by grace through faith in Christ alone. But you know what? We oftentimes cite that passage, and we stop there At verse 9, and we don't keep reading, but I believe that we should because verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Say these next three words with me. For good works, which God prepared beforehand, we should walk in them. You are not saved by good works, but you were created for good works, works which the Spirit of God will produce in your life. Now, if Jesus Christ is your foundation, then that means you are going to be a part of this lifelong process which involves coming and hearing and doing, and coming and hearing and doing. This is the process one follows if Christ really is the foundation of their life, coming and hearing and doing. There's one more thing we see in these final two verses, and that is the assurance they possess. The assurance they possess. At this point, Jesus closes with an illustration. He may have had many disciples and his audience that day, but not Everyone who was listening to him was, in fact, a disciple. And so what Jesus is saying here is for everyone. Look at verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus mentions two houses. As far as we know, they were, in almost every way, the same. I'm sure they both had bedrooms. I'm sure they both had a kitchen. I'm sure they both had windows. Houses in the first century pretty much followed the same design. On the outside, they looked the same. But if you could see what was beneath the surface, you would notice there was one thing that was different the foundation. One was built on a rock foundation, the other, it says, was built upon the earth, some translations say on sand, and as a result, one house could not stand, and the other house could not fall. Now, this is not the only time Jesus used this particular illustration. We know that on another occasion, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, once again, He used this parable, and in Matthew's gospel, we see exactly uh, what it is that's driving the river and the floods. Jesus said in Matthew 7, And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against each house. And one fell, but the other did not. What was it? It was a storm. It was a great storm. And I believe, really, there are two kinds of storms that are being referred to here in this parable. There are the storms of life. There are storms of life. For example, Jesus said in Matthew 5 that God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. This is a storm that falls upon everyone regardless of your relationship with Christ. This kind of storm brings a lot of pressure. The rain represents the pressures above me, and the flood represents the pressures below me, and the winds represent all of those pressures that are around me. And I want you to notice something, because this is so important. In this parable, there is no place to build your house where the wind never blows, where the clouds never rain, where the sun always shines. Listen, such a place does not exist. And yet, if Christ is your foundation, in spite of the rains and the floods and the winds, you can be confident you'll overcome the storms of life. We all go through storms in life. We struggle, and as usual, we ask, why? Well, one of the things that these storms will do is they reveal the quality or the presence of the foundation. If you had just looked at these two homes from the outside, you would have never known which one was weak and which one was strong. If you just looked at them on the outside, you would have had no way of knowing which one was going to stand and which one was going to fall. The storm revealed the presence or the lack of a foundation. I have an older half-sister who used to live in Jacksonville, Florida. About 20 years ago, her family built a new house and... Not long after it was finished and they moved in, they began to discover all sorts of problems that a new house should not have. And so they began to to do some homework and eventually they discovered that during the building process, there was a fault in the foundation. And somehow the builders never caught it. Somehow inexplicably... Not even the inspectors caught it, but because there was a problem with the foundation, that meant no amount of repairs would ever fix Ed everything that was going wrong with that house. You could patch it up for a while, but listen, if the foundation is faulty... Those problems are just going to come back again and again and again. And you know that's true with a house, but you know that's also true on a spiritual level as well. When there is a problem with the foundation, you're going to see so many different symptoms beginning to appear. If there's a problem in the foundation of your home or the foundation of your marriage, that's going to show up in so many different ways. This is true on so many levels. And I think to myself, you know, we've had a lot of storms that we've gone through, haven't we? Think about the pandemic. I think about the fact that a lot of people disappeared in March of 2020 and never returned. And I'm going to say something that might upset a few folks, but and this isn't true of everybody, but I believe that that storm demonstrated which houses were built on what foundation? And I believe that through the pandemic, we discovered that not every house had the right foundation, and there were a lot of spiritual houses that it turned out were built upon the sand. I think about how this applies to our nation. I think about some of the storms that we have gone through in this nation. Civil War, Great Depression, Pearl Harbor, just to name a few. We've gone through all sorts of storms, but you know what? By the grace of God, we got through them because we had a certain foundation, a foundation of faith in God, a foundation of a biblical worldview. Now, some people will debate whether or not that we are a Christian nation, and you can have that debate if you want to, but I'll tell you one thing. We don't have the foundation that we used to. And I don't know what kind of storms are coming tomorrow, but whatever kind of storm comes tomorrow, I'm not sure we're ready for it because the foundation that we once had is no longer there. And that ought to motivate us to pray like we've never prayed before and work like we've never worked before and share the gospel like we've never shared the gospel before so that we might have that foundation once again. Jesus said the first man built his house on the rock, and because he had that foundation when the storm hit, that house stood. There are storms in life that only someone who's built on the foundation of Christ will withstand. Some of us have experienced those kind of storms, but there's another kind of storm that is referenced here, and that is the storm of judgment. Jesus said, if he is your foundation, you can be confident. You'll overcome the storm of judgment. We read this parable. It's easy to tell who the solid foundation is. It is the rock of Jesus Christ. But what about that other house? What about that other house in the parable that was built with no foundation or it was built upon the earth, it was built upon sand, A sandy foundation is really no foundation at all. Well, what does that represent? That sandy foundation represents anyone and anything other than Jesus Christ. Anyone or anything that your life revolves around that is not Christ. Anything or anything that you are trusting on for salvation apart from Christ. Listen to me carefully. If it's not Jesus, it's just sand. And when there's no foundation and the storm hits, Jesus said, that house is going to fall. And when the river of God's judgment arrives, that house will not stand. And all that person will have to look forward to is eternity separated from God. Now, you have two men in this parable. Both of them had the same dream. Both of them built a house. Their houses looked identical. Their houses went through the same storm, which tells me that they were located in the same place. So much was the same, but one thing was different. The foundation. One house was built on the rock, and it stood. The other house was built on sand, and it fell. Listen to me. Only the foundation of Jesus Christ will enable us to overcome the storms of life and the storm of judgment. You can build your life on the shifting sands of this world, or you can build your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you personally, I would rather build a tent on top of a rock, rather than a mansion on top of a swamp. Back in the 19th century, there was a man by the name of Edward Moat, and this man spent most of his life working in construction. But then when he was 55 years old, God called him to preach, and he became a pastor for the next 21 years. Well, at some point when he was a Pastor, uh, Mr. Edward Moat took all of that experience that he had working in construction, and then he took all of this experience that he gained as a pastor, and you know what he did? He brought all of that together, and he wrote a song. He had just finished writing that song literally had the words on a piece of paper that was folded up in his pocket when he went to go visit a friend of his. Now, this friend was also a pastor, and the reason for the visit was his friend's wife was on her deathbed. And so he went to go minister because, you know, sometimes pastors need a pastor as well. So he went to go minister to that pastor, and he went to go minister to that pastor's wife, and he stood there by her deathbed. And he read scriptures to her, and he prayed for her, and he encouraged her, and it just meant so much. But then after he prayed, he was getting ready to leave, and someone suggested, well, before you go, why don't we sing a hymn? And so you know where this is going. Edward Moat reached into his pocket, and he pulled out that sheet of paper with that song that he had just written. I've sung that song so many times in my life, I can't even count it. But I did not know until this week as I was preparing that message that Edward Moat sang that song for the very first time by that pastor's wife's bedside. And there over that dying woman He sang those words that no one had ever heard before. Those words that we sang at the beginning of the service this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. One day we're all going to be where that pastor's wife was in that moment when he sang that song for the very first time. And in that moment, it all comes down to this. Who or what is the foundation of your life? I pray that your foundation is Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for such a sure foundation, that we can know that we stand on the rock of Jesus Christ, we will stand and we will be able to endure whatever storms of life may come, no matter how hard they may be. And if we stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ, we need not fear standing before you one day, because His righteousness is our Righteousness. And Father, I pray that every person here today would be able to say that Jesus is the foundation of their life. I pray for those who are here today who perhaps cannot yet say that. There's not yet been that moment where they came to Jesus for the very first time and called him Lord, understanding everything that that involves, that it means obedience, that it means following Jesus. That it means coming to him and hearing from him and doing what he says. And so, God, I pray that if there's one here within the sound of my voice who does not have Jesus as their one foundation, Lord, that this would be that day that they come to Christ. And we thank you that they can have a new foundation this morning. That you'll replace that foundation of sand and give them a true foundation on which they can stand for all of eternity. God, I pray for that man or that woman or that young person who perhaps even now just needs to admit that they're a sinner and believing Jesus died for them and that he rose again, that they would confess him as Lord of their lives today, that this would be their day of salvation, this last day of 2023. God, I pray for all of us here that you would help us to apply what we've read and what we have learned We say that Jesus is Lord, that we would back it up by our obedience, and that we would continue throughout this year to come, to come to Christ again and again and again, and that we would continue to hear you speak through your word, and that we would continue to increasingly apply what your word says to our lives. This is what we want to happen in the year to come and every day of our lives. So help us, Lord, to not just be hearers, but to be doers, and to apply that. Have your way, oh God. Show each and every one of us exactly how you want us to respond to your word. We'll give you the thanks and the praise. As we just continue in prayer for a moment, with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you that question very quickly before we go. Is Jesus Christ the foundation of your life? Is Jesus the foundation of your life? Has there been that moment in time where you came to him and confessed him as Lord of your life? Understanding that's not just a word. That's not lip service. That means surrender. That means he is master, king, ruler of your life, that he is savior and Lord. Because if not today can be that day of salvation, God will give you a new foundation. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're willing in this moment to say, yes, I'm a sinner, I've broken God's law, I am guilty before God, as guilty as guilty can be. I cannot help myself, I cannot save myself. But I trust in Jesus, that he died for me, that he rose again, and therefore I confess him as Savior and Lord of my life. I will follow Christ. Anybody here today that would say, I've never taken that step, but I need to, And I want to, right now, have Jesus as the foundation of my life. Anybody by raising a hand would say, that's me. I want to have Christ as the foundation of my life the very first time. I'm going to be here at the very, very front. If you want to know more about what this means, or if you have questions, uh, please, please, please come to me. If you're watching online, uh, I can't see you raise your hand. Would you please reach out to us? Uh, at that number that you're going to see on the screen. And if you would, send a a text message with your name. And when you do, we'll send you back a link. And please fill that out and let us know who you are or that step of faith you're taking today or the question you might have so that we can follow up with you uh, as well.